Welcome to the Graphic Audio Behind the Mic podcast. These podcasts will feature author interviews and behind-the-scenes interviews with our cast, directors, and crew. Today's podcast features director Ken Jackson's interview with author Kelly McCullough. In this interview, Ken talks to Mr. McCullough about his fantasy series, The Fallen Blade, which is now produced in Graphic Audio. In prepping for this podcast, I listened to most of your podcast with um, Anton Strout, uh, the Once and Future podcast. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. Yeah, you did an interview, and uh, that was interesting, you know, uh, just hearing a couple of writers geeking out about writing. I'm not a writer, <laughs> um, but I, you know, I did do a lot of theater, uh, and I think there are some over some overlap between... Um, just I guess the artistic temperament um, and also just maybe the the lifestyle patterns that actors and writers perhaps have um, oh absolutely I'm, I mean that's that's my my degree is theater yeah um, yeah I heard that too and was that at Hamline in 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 Minnesota where you got the degree I well I, I spent a year at Hamline then I transferred to the University of Minnesota bigger bigger theater department more opportunity okay cool well, we are uh, talking to you because we uh, produced a series of yours in audiobook format. The series was the Fallen Blade series, um, which is a um, fantasy series, I guess you would say, pretty traditional fantasy. Would you consider that? Yeah, fairly, fairly high fantasy. Um, gritty, a little on the gritty side. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that because when I first read the series, when I first started reading the, the first sentence of the first book, I was immediately reminded of um, uh, sort of hard-boiled detective fiction from the 50s, like kind of Mickey Split. And, and it's interesting because in the podcast, you said something about Sam Spade meets Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about like that, that's really what I was shooting for. I um, when I was getting ready to to do these, I, I sat down and, and read reread some Dashiell Hammett and um, and went through some of the hard boiled stuff that I've you know I've always loved that tone. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, you definitely captured it uh, because I mean, well, and the setting too. You know, every book pretty much starts with the protagonist Arl Kingslayer uh, sitting in his favorite hangout, which is a bar. You know, and, and bars are the traditional sort of venue, bars and shabby offices and tenement buildings, you know, kind of where we always find our, um, our anti-hero detectives. Um, so, you know, just the fact that he's sitting in a bar with a drink, you know, and then, you know, Trouble walks in wearing a red dress. I think that's one, one, of, the, one of your first lines is, uh, in the first book is, your first line is, Trouble wore a red dress. That was my first yep. thought. Yeah. And I was like, boom. <laughs> that immediately reminded me of like Mickey Spillane or Dashiell Hammett or one of those guys. Well, that's one of the things I, I've only been able to listen to about three and a half of the production so far. Um, I've, I've got five, so I'm getting there. But one of the things I loved listening to that very first Broken Blade audio that Joel did was um, Trouble Walks In and, and I got very early on that saxophone solo that told me these people know exactly <laughs> what I was shooting for. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the right scoring. It can really help the mood and, you know, express the the tone of the scene. So thank you. I'm glad you appreciated that. You also have another series called uh, the Web Mage series. 
And yeah. uh, that, you know, it's interesting because uh, that one really kind of combines, I don't know if I want to say combines genres, but I mean, you know, we've got sort of the the typical mythos of fantasy, but this kid is a, the, the, the protagonist in, in the uh, Webmage series is a computer geek. He's a computer hacker, but y- you've got this premise where magic is 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 digitalized now and then and his laptop is also some sort of a familiar is that right yep. it was one of the, yeah that was it was a it was a lot of fun to do um the place where i started with this and this is always one of those things where i it shows how old i am is so i was i was you know in my 20s and i was playing with this new thing called the World Wide web <laughs> <laughs> and um i got to thinking about how moving from web page to web page was like moving from world to world and sort of a classic uh, multi-worlds um, story like the uh, the the Amber books or any number of the Cross Time books, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to tell a story with this as the metaphor for world traveling, and, and went from there, um, and ended up with magic rather than technology. Well, the mix because technology was the easy way, right? And I, I always try and find at least some kind of tonal twist or or technology twist or idea twist to make it an idea that someone else hasn't done before or hasn't done in the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have a a little twist on zombies in the fallen blade series, you know? uh, Oh yeah. My risen. (laughs) Yeah. The risen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they kind of fit the, 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 the template of a zombie, but you, like I said, you know, you sort of have a little different twist on it, which is nice. Um, in thinking about your work, uh, and some of the other, uh, authors that we've produced that seem to, have this sort of pastiche of, of 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 genres now. It doesn't seem like anyone just writes science fiction anymore, just fantasy anymore. There's a lot of crossover. And I came across the term speculative fiction, which yep. maybe I'm behind the times because I didn't really know that term, but it seems to maybe be a, a catch-all that kind of covers this way of writing. Would you it's, say? Um, I think it mostly grew out of uh, maybe. 10 or 20 years ago, not so much now, um, there were a bunch of people who were science fiction and fantasy fans who really didn't like the term Mm -hmm. sci-fi. You know, for for my generation, sci-fi is fine. I think, you know, science fiction, that's that's great. But but they found it pejorative, and they were trying to find something that encapsulated science fiction and and got fantasy in there and wasn't sci-fi. And and they wanted to, I think they guessed they wanted to stick with with the SF, um, and went with speculative fiction. Oh, that's right. So you leave the same. Yeah, didn't think about that. It seems to me like um, there's uh, a lot of potential science fact that could go into it. Um, and I haven't wed- read your webmage series, but I'm assuming that there is some computer geekery in there. Um, and you have yeah, yeah it's pretty solid. Um, my mother's a coder, so I grew up in a computer house. Now, that's interesting because you also, I read in one of your uh, bios, I, th- I guess on your website, that you were raised and educated by free-range hippies. And when, yep. I, <laughs> when I think about hippies, I don't really think about computer technology. I don't know why. Maybe that's my own limitation. I mean, I kind of think of people who are like back to the land and not necessarily, not necessarily Luddites, but not necessarily people that are keeping up with like, you know, the latest in technology. Well, you know, in the yard, we had the um, the, the big organic garden, and um, 
the lawn was, uh, you know, more or less a jungle with no chemicals on it. And, um, food was, was by and large homemade and, and, and mostly organic. Um, and I went to an open school, uh, where we were encouraged very strongly to be in charge of our, our own education. Freedom was responsibility was the, was the school motto. I'm actually writing a, a kid's book right now set in a very similar world to my, um, to my open school, uh, growing up. I, uh, um, but you got to finance it somehow. And mm-hmm. my mother was, um, very technologically oriented and very mathematically logical. So coding was pretty natural for her. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and of course we did talk about the fact that you have a background in theater also. Um, have you done a whole bunch of different jobs in your life or did you pretty much come to writing fairly early and, and, and stick with that? I came to writing relatively early. Um, I did, Theater uh, was was my goal, and because I went to an open school, you were pretty much allowed to, you know, focus on whatever your your main interests were. So I was was intensely involved from theater, in theater from age eleven to twenty one, and I, you know, most of the money that I earned in those days was, um, you know, doing improv shows or things. But then I, I fell in love with a, with a wonderful woman who uh, didn't want me living the um, nights and weekends schedule, um, and and you know, it never really occurred to me that theater was not entirely compatible with uh, with having a normal life. <laughs> yeah. And so I sat down and I, I wrote a novel and um, and I fell in love with the process. It was it was it gave me most of what I got from theater. The one thing I really miss um, is that collaborative thing that you get, especially with improv. Yeah. But um, but it, it gave me all of that creating the world stuff. And um, I did I did odd jobs while I finished up college. But then my wife, my wife's a professor. And once she got a a decent job. Um, I was able to to be a kept man for a decade or so while I got the novel career going. <laughs> nice work if you can get it. <laughs> it is. It is. Fantastic. Well, um, I also uh, was. Oh, and you have a small herd of cats. I see as well. I'm a cat. Yeah, lover. I'm down to two at the at, at the moment. Sadly, but, that is a small herd. Um, it was it was five when the um, when the, when that bio went up. Gotcha. Gotcha. You've written some um, fiction for young audiences, and you say you're you're writing something now. Um, and you've also written some some science education. Um, I read that you had received a um, a grant or something from the National Science Foundation to write something. Yeah, I was um, I was hired on by um, my, my when my wife was in graduate school. She worked with a couple of, of professors and. Um, they went on the successor grant to the grant that she worked on was to have a middle school science curriculum, physical science and physical chemistry for um, middle schoolers with a science fiction context. And I had worked with them as an editor on a previous project. Mm-hmm. And so when they started, started working on that. They discovered that um, writing a grant to get uh, science fiction, science education was pretty easy, but writing the actual science fiction was a lot more complex than they had expected. So they called me up and said, hey, how would you like a, a day job writing science fiction for a couple of years? <laughs> Interesting. I'm, sign me up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You also wrote uh, a series of, I don't know what I want to call them, sketches, uh, The Dragon Diaries, sort of entries. Microfiction is what I've, Microfiction. What I've typically been calling it. it, it it's mostly, mostly scaled for Twitter. Some of them are a little bit longer, uh, a little too long for Twitter. But yeah, just... Uh, Tiny, tiny little vignettes, um, 
and those actually that came out of I was uh, deathly ill here five or six years ago, some some horrible stomach virus, and I was I was actually too sick to to read, and I was too sick to watch a movie. Anything that long and linear was uh, was was beyond me. But I can't not create. So on on day two of of semi delirium, I started spieling off these little tiny pieces of dragon humorous dragon fiction. And my wife was like. You are so odd. Let me get you your laptop so you can share that with the universe. <laughs> well, I, I read a few of the entries, um, just like the beginning ones, I guess, that where everyone ends with, you know, basically, I ate it. Uh, <laughs> meaning I ate it, not not hated it, but I yep. ate it. Um, and uh, it reminded a friend, uh, a coworker actually, had shared with me a book that I have not read, but it was uh, in... In my own words, it was an autobiography of Bigfoot by Graham Rumiou, I guess you say. Oh, okay. And it reminded me very much of that because it was sort of like, you know, Bigfoot speaking sort of pidgin English from his point of view, telling us, you know, about stuff. And um, the Dragon Diaries, you know, from a dragon's point of view in pidgin English, you know, it, it, it all, it just seemed very similar. I, I, so it doesn't sound like you were influenced by that, though. You, you weren't familiar with it? No, not at all. It was it was pretty much pure delirium. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. And then I also read that you said something about um, your wife. Your wife has a term when you don't write, and uh, she says you start leaking weirdness. I liked that. <laughs> That's yeah. The Dragon Diaries were were, were were hardcore leaking weirdness. It's you know. The, the, the time she coined the phrase was I had, I had uh, just finished a novel and I was taking like a month or two off. Um, and I woke up and I, and I rolled over and she's, you know, half asleep. She's like, yeah. And I said, princess Muina moved through the milky room. And she looked at me and she said, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm thinking about doing a Connecticut Buffalo in Kate Heifer's court. You know, <laughs> I'll do it all with cows. Um, you know, the, 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 the aurochs will be coming down from the North and raiding. She's like, go write something. Go write something now. <laughs> You're leaking weirdness all over the place. I love that because I'm going to use that term if I can steal it from you. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, because my, my girlfriend gets that from me all the time, usually in text that I will send her late at night. And, oh, it's just the weirdest stuff. I read it back over and I'm like, oh, you know, it's a good thing she loves me because... <laughs> Otherwise, she'd either call the police or a psychiatrist, because it's very strange, some of the things I've written. Um, but hey, that's why we have partners, man, so we can leak weirdness over people that uh, won't turn us in. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. So what, are you working on anything right now? I mean, you said you're working on a, um, a book for young audiences. Yeah, I'm, it's another middle school book. It's uh, This one is set in... Um, it's not the St. Paul Open School that I grew up in, but it's basically the St. Paul Open School. So it's semi-autobiographical, but it's it's St. Paul with magic, and I get into the weirdness that is Minnesota in winter with the Winter Carnival, and and you know the Northern Crown, uh, the Corona, Corona Borealis, and um, it's just being a, it's a kind of a fun, silly book to write. It's more on the web mage end of what I do, which it tends to be um, kind of bizarre, kind of silly, heavy on the humor with as much dark heart as I can I can get into it right um, and I just actually finished it on Thursday I'm doing the final edits today and I'm gonna send it off to my editor uh, sometime this evening mm-hmm. it's due 
June 1st, but I like to get things in at least a month early if I can, and I don't have to stress about it. Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, when I was you know, middle school age, I considered myself a very sophisticated reader, uh, and um, even looking back on it, I think that I was. How do you differentiate writing for a teenager versus writing for an adult audience in your own mind? I mean, what's, what's different about the process or how you lay the words on the page? The, the biggest difference are, are, are thematic. I'm, I'm perfectly willing to be dark writing for younger readers, but I'm, I'm less, less happy about bleak, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. For middle schoolers, as opposed to, to YA, which I've, I've also done some writing in, um, you've also got to be really cautious about swearing, uh-huh. and sex basically has to happen off screen. Um, but other than that, it's, it's, it's very similar. Um, I don't dumb down the language at all. I don't dumb down the plot at all. I try and you know, keep my characters as real uh, as, as I do anywhere else. Um, got it. But, but mostly it's tonal. Got it. And it's, it, they tend to run shorter. Um, uh, a middle school novel normally runs 40 or 50,000 words, which is how I tend to count things. So that'd be like 150 paperback pages if they were printed the way you would print a, an adult paperback. And the, my, my adult stuff tends to run 90 or 100,000 words. So it would normally be twice. I'm running fairly long for, for, for middle, middle school, but the, um, my editors at, at Firewell are fantastic. They're a, a really nice boutique house that are, that are really invested in, in building careers. And, you know, when I was first working, she said, then make it as long as you want. And I've been working in the field for a long time. Normally what that means is make it as long as you want, then we're going to cut it down to the length that it needs to be. But no, they were serious. I ended up running probably 20,000 words over what I had intended. They were like, great, we'll do it. Looks cool. good. Cool. Bringing it back to um, the Fallen Blade series, um, you said something interesting on that Once in Future podcast that I listened in on. Uh, that you were basically trying to write a book every six months in that series. Uh, did I understand that correctly? Yep. Okay. And um, because I was doing this um, research, you know, I'd sort of gotten under this kick of like thinking about the influences that the hardball detective fiction had on you. I um, was cruising the web and looking at some Mickey Spillane, Dash Joe Hammett stuff, and I found this quote from Mickey Spillane, where he said, I'm a commercial writer, not an author. Margaret Mitchell was an author. She wrote one book. Uh, so uh, how do you feel about yourself, like commercial writer versus author? I mean, artist versus populist writer. I mean, do you make distinctions between those things? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of, of where I fall on the spectrum of writers, I absolutely call myself a commercial writer. I, it, for, for two reasons. One is, um, I write fast, and I write stuff that is relatively uh, would make a relatively good beach read. Um, but the other thing about being a commercial writer is commercial writers tend to eat. Um, authors are, are are less less prone to it. Um, <laughs> but but one of the things that I I talk about particularly for me is my orientation as a writer is entertainer because I come out of theater and I come out of improv. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted when someone reads one of my books and finds art in it. And I, I try to put, I try to keep it language beautiful, but clear. I try to do all of those things that are going to produce art, but I don't think of myself as an artist first. I think of myself as an entertainer first. Yeah. Okay. Here's, here's a line. This is the way you started, uh, speaking of, of, of 
your artistry as a writer. I, I like this passage. Um, it's, I think it's the opening of the fourth book. Uh, maybe you can tell me, or maybe not. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, the present is the past. Every today is built atop the mounded corpses of a thousand yesterdays. Mine was no exception. Broken furniture and filth surrounded me in what had once been the tavern known as the Griffin's Head. A place that had once been my home was now a shattered ruin, empty save for myself, my partner, and trouble. The past calling the present to account, as it always does. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, that's book four. I, book I just four. listened. In fact, I, I, I believe I just listened to you uh, reciting those lines just like two days ago. <laughs> you, got, you got a reprise there. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's that's great. I mean, I don't know. People always put down Stephen King as being a commercial writer, and I love his writing. So I, I've, I, don't, I don't think I have the ability to make the distinction in terms of the, the quality of the, the writing, maybe just in terms of output, I suppose, and the size of the, the work. I'm sorry, you know, when you talk about uh, like Margaret Mitchell, you know, she wrote, you know, a big novel and these other people that are big novelists. But Stephen King is considered a commercial writer. And my God, you know, he, he writes tomes. Yeah, well, and I think some of the some of the best work that we have, um, you know, historically, are, are commercial writers. Shakespeare was a commercial writer. Charles Dickens was a commercial writer. I don't, right. I don't see, um, I don't see it as a, as a negative thing. Um, I'm I'm proud to be a commercial writer. Um, I tend to think that in the big scheme of things, the stuff that la- you know, what we think will last as we're writing it, and what 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 turns up a hundred years later. Um, have a fairly coincidental relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope that people will find stuff in my work that they'll want to read 50 years from now. I don't know. Um, but I figure the, the best way to, to do that is to entertain. Uh, entertain first and, and let everything else fall out as it will. Yeah. When you're writing something about uh, another realm as you are in the Fallen Blade series, do you have to sit down and kind of like make a map for yourself so that you can refer to locations and things? How do you keep all of the the environment straight in your mind? Absolutely. I, 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 um, I'm a pretty three-dimensional thinker. Um, one of the things I do as a hobby when I'm not writing, when I get done with a book, is I will... I'll like get out the welder and, and design something and, and, and weld it up because it, it regrounds me in the world. But I, if I'm going to write something, I really feel I have to know the physical space. So um, I will write, I'll, I'll do a, a fairly rough map. I've, I've got a friend who's an artist who has, has uh, taken my rough maps and, and made them into something much nicer for like the Broken Blade books. Um, but even um, something as simple as uh, if I've got, if I'm going to be a, in a house that's going to play an important role in a story, I will I will lay out the ground plan real quick. Well, you did you did a good uh, job too with your continuity, which, again, on that podcast, I I, I felt like I, I I was privy to a little secret, uh, only because um, you mentioned the fact that because you were writing the book so quickly, sometimes you could actually go back to a previous book and put in something that kind of like was a little seed that, that you planted that would then come to uh, fruition in the in the next book like a, a, a story arc or something that was would attach the two 
Yeah, that's one of the things I actually love about um, being on a six-month pace. I mean, there are things about this that, that I, I love less, but one of the things that I really enjoy is it takes about 12 months from me turning a book in to it hitting the shelves, um, sometimes even a bit longer than that. Uh, and if I'm writing books on a, on a six-month pace, you know, I've, I'm into a third book by the time that first one is um, in its final uh, galleys, and I can make very small adjustments, and it, it, it makes me look much smarter. I mean, when I, was, when I was writing slower, I would write a book, and you get to the end, and then you go back, and you, and you put in foreshadowing or anchor things. Um, and that's fun, and, and it, it's you know, a classic technique, and it, it's, it's great. But when you're writing that much faster, you have a lot more leeway to do that and make yourself look smarter. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate, you know, doing a series... Uh, like yours, and I've done others, um, I always appreciate it when I can trust the author's uh, continuity. Um, and, you know, it seemed like when you would bring something up, I could always refer back to, oh, yes, that's right, he mentioned this there, or he said something about that there, and then later on you would maybe expand on it. And and it's nice. I mean, as, as a reader, as a listener, you know, if you're, if you're a careful reader and listener, when an author picks up a thread, you know, that they kind of wove a little bit earlier and you kind of wondered where that would go or, you know, you were interested by it, but that was the end of it. And then it kind of comes back. You're like, oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, I remember that character. I remember that that place, you know. Um, so I, I appreciate your uh, your attention to detail. Well, thank you. It's, it's one of the things I'm basically a, a, a hyper hyper-organized uh, control freak where it comes to that sort of stuff, which is, has served me fairly well. Yeah. Um, I know as a reader, uh, continuity areas drive me nuts, so I try very, very hard not to put too many of them into the books, you know. That's one of the interesting things about going through and listening to them is I'll see things and I'll say, oh, you know what I should have done there? Or I'll say, oh, I introduced a tiny continuity area there, but almost, almost none of them have been bad enough that I went. <laughs> well, gosh, it's it's great talking to you. Um, and again, just for our listening audience, this is Kelly McCullough, who is the author of the Fallen Blade series that we have produced in graphic audio. Do you listen to uh, podcasts a lot or, or audio books? Not as much as I would like. Um, I can't really listen to, to anything with, with dialogue while I'm writing. Um, mm, of course. And I, I generally, I, I process information much, much faster if I read it. Um, I love audiobooks, but I also find them kind of a little slow-paced for me mm -hmm. um, in terms of just the way I process, inform process information. And I, I've, I've really been enjoying the uh, the graphic audio of Fallen Blades. You guys have been doing a, a fantastic job. I've been delighted to listen to these. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, that's better than the way I did it. Oh, oh I like that. And hey, this, this book is better than I remember it. Awesome. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because um, for me, you know, you mentioned um, when you left theater that the one thing that you missed sort of was that collaborative um, experience. And I really do feel like I get an opportunity to collaborate with the authors of these books because I'm bringing them to life in an audio format, which was not how the writer envisioned it uh, necessarily. And they weren't necessarily writing for it to be heard aloud. So I've got to think, OK, you know, how can I take this writer's vision and, and bring it to an, an, an oral medium, oral medium, um, and, and have it work 
being heard. Um, and I do feel like there's this collaboration, you know, with me being trying trying to be true to what you did, but also trying to make it work in this medium. Unlike um, just a straight audio book, there's no reason to have the said, there's no reason to have a lot of the dialogue tags. You can do a lot of stuff um, with voice that I have to do with description, which is, which is great. I, I think that um, I'm, I've been just pretty much happy across the board with what I have seen cut it cut when I've noticed it. Good, good. That's great, man. It, it makes me happy. Right, thank you. Um, I wish you um, all the best in your current and future endeavors, and um, look forward to perhaps working, um, collaborating with you again. That'd be fabulous. Um, and yeah, I've, I've had a great time chatting with you and. Good luck with whatever your next production is, and I'm looking forward to getting to hear the rest of the uh, rest of these books. Now I'm about halfway through Play Three Four, which is four, and, and I'm having a ball. Excellent. Thanks so much. We would like to thank Kelly McCullough for taking the time to talk to us. All six titles of the Fallen Blade series are now available on our website. For more information on how to purchase our graphic audio titles, please call us at 1-800-670-5220 or visit us on the web at www.graphicaudio.net where you can purchase our titles in audio CD format or in one of our download formats, MP3, M4B, and FLAC. And you can listen to your downloads anytime, anywhere with our free Graphic Audio Access app available for Apple and Android devices. Make sure you sign up for our e-newsletter, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter. <laughs>